something I find myself telling、um, younger musicians I'm mentoring is that how good you are, your technical proficiency at making music, is not your reason for making music. Hi, I'm Sean Perrin, and you're listening to episode 162 of the Clarinet Podcast, the show for clarinetists. Today's special guest on the program is Eric Salazar, who is known as the Clarinet Guy. He's also known for uniting people of different backgrounds by sharing jaw-dropping experiences of feeling through new classical music. This is Eric's third time on the program, and today we discuss crafting the career of your dreams, navigating the arts as an introvert, how Eric has navigated the pandemic, and some action steps for thinking about the future you want for your music career. You can get access to an extended ad-free version of today's episode and many others, and support the production of the podcast at the same time for as little as one dollar per month at clarinet.com/slash/subscribe. Thank you so much to our sponsors who make the show possible. Imagine a read that lets you focus on your music, lasts for months instead of days, and even saves you money in the long run. It's all possible with Legere Reads, the world's leading synthetic read brand made right here in Canada. The European cut read is preferred by Legere artists all over the world, including Eddie Daniels, David Schifrin, Cronaju Freddy, and many others. It offers a warm, clean sound with a great ease of articulation, and is now available for E flat, B flat, and the bass clarinet. Learn more at your local music store or at legere.com. That's L-E-G-E-R-E.com. The new Bakun Q series clarinet features a completely redesigned bore, inspired by the Bakun Custom series clarinets. This means you can play and perform like the pros, but for less. Use code CLARINET at bakunmusical.com to save 10% on your entire purchase, and try the Bakun Q series or Protege clarinet risk-free for 30 days. Just pay the return shipping if you aren't fully satisfied. Shop now at bakunmusical.com and use code CLARINET at checkout. I'm here today with Eric Salazar for the third time on the Clarinet Podcast, and he's coming to me today from a suburb of Indianapolis. <laughs> <laughs> Eric, welcome back to the show. Hey, thanks for having me again. I love being on Clarinet. <laughs> yeah, this is the third time. You're one of few guests to come back for a third time, and、uh, you know I think this is in some ways a, a big testament to the kind of person that you are and the sort of career that you've had since we first chatted some years ago. So. Just a quick update for those listening.、Um, do go back and and check out the earlier episodes with Eric.、Um, he shared a lot of great tips, but he's one of the more interesting guests in the fact that he was the one back at the beginning who sort of inspired me or made me interested in interviewing people who were up and coming in their careers and not just those who had already kind of achieved their careers, right? So if you could just give a A bit of information about yourself for those who may not have heard before, Eric. But the first time we talked, I think you had just graduated. Was it your undergrad or your master's? And then now you're well into your career. So let's just do a bit about Eric and where you've been and what you've been up to the last six years now. Can you believe that? <laughs> yeah, I had just graduated、uh, with my master's,、um, and I had moved back and was trying to figure out my professional life.、Um, But now,、uh, basically, what's happened since that time is I've continued playing clarinet, keep practicing, getting better. <laughs> At least I think so.、Um, I've taken on the mantle of composer as well, and I've fallen into a lot of wonderful roles as a project leader and project manager for、uh, music projects. So what I am now is I am the director of community engagement and artist liaison with Classical Music Indie, and it's a small size nonprofit where 
I get paid my salary to perform, compose, premiere new music, produce albums, uh, and also do, oh, like a comparable amount of administrative work that, you know, a, a applied faculty position would do. So w earlier when we talked years ago, you and I were both freelancing. And this is a very common thing for people to do when they start out. It's actually a totally okay thing to do for your whole career. So tell me what that was like for you, like making the decision to, to kind of go into a salaried job. And you mentioned that you sort of made this job for yourself. So I think a lot of listeners who are graduating are interested in that aspect of it too. How can you create your dream job and still feel fulfilled as a musician and artist? Yeah, it's been a wonderful uh, organic <laughs> journey because um, at first I was trying to uh, freelance and work administrative positions and I'm sure many of the listeners are familiar with the, the old 60-hour work week <laughs> that musicians tend to do to themselves. Um, but I eventually realized that I was not particularly happy with all of the gigs I was doing. I, I wanted more control over the gigs. Um, I wanted to be able to decide, like even at a bare bones level, the music I would play <laughs> and who I would play it with and where. And so I sort of thrust myself into the administrative side of things because at least I was perceiving that was where some of the decisions were being made in terms of who I was playing with and what pieces I was going to play. So I, I became an arts administrator, uh, initially part-time, and it morphed over the years into this wonderful full-time opportunity where I basically just listen to the musicians and ask them what they want to do and then help them do it. <laughs> and what it does for me is it's given me a degree of financial stability that allows me to do whatever music projects I want. So I'm not taking every gig. I I'm saying no to a lot of gigs actually because they're not interesting to me but I have the resources to do the projects that I want, like commissioning new works and recording them in the studio and premiering them. And in terms of how it happened, it was basically just, I found a small organization that had a need for someone who could set up concerts. Because they had this idea to do pop-up performances, but no one was really able to like conceptualize how to make it work. And I pretty much just swooped in and was like, oh, you just show up with your instruments and play and pay the musicians and that's how you do it. <laughs> you know, once I did that successfully, the organization was like, whoa, he, let's make him do more stuff. Like this is really working out because I was helping them realize their mission. And over the years, I just took on more responsibilities and pretty much every performance review I had, I was continuing to advocate for like, now remember, I'm an artist, so if you want to keep me, then let me do artist things. And eventually that turned into, uh, you know, recording albums, and now I, I get paid to compose music. We're, I've got a harp duo that they commissioned me to do, so we're going to premiere that later this year. 
Um, I guess sort of what I meant, though, is more because I know you're doing a lot of performing and composing and a lot of great artistic things. But I meant more as far as the financial stability element of it, because there's this there's this sort of notion that to be a successful artist, we need to sort of be a suffering, starving artist who can't, you know, even afford a cup of coffee. And I think that those who have found kind of the ability to to make money and actually not live like that are sometimes frowned upon in our society as artists. You know what I mean? Yeah. Isn't that weird? <laughs> it is weird. It's, it's like the only industry where being successful is a problem. <laughs> like... Yeah, no, I mean, I, I, th- I think all artists should be stable, should be, because when we're stable financially, we're happier. And when we're happier and healthy, we can make music the way we're meant to i think the starving artist the suffering artist i i just really don't like it (laughs) i I don't like it for me and i don't like it for anyone else because it doesn't have to be that way and you know when you think about your artistic output most people will do you know a lot of great work their entire careers but in terms of like what makes a, a gigantic significant impact on the world we live in you're lucky if you get one (laughs) or two of those experiences in 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 your the full length of your career and in order to have those you you have to be stable like you're not going to get those you're not going to have those experiences if you're always under the gun so I, I think financial stability is was really important to me, like in terms of my emotional health. And honestly, it's what allows me to fund my projects when there is a gap. Like if I'm really passionate about something and the resources from a stakeholder fall through, I at least have the ability to nudge it along the way it needs to, to realize the artistic vision. Well, I think you raised such a good point too about, you know, having your basic needs met and feeling good about that. And it's it's so much easier to make music that you want to make when you know where your next meal is coming from, at the most basic. But uh, no, you've done a great job of building a really interesting career. And uh, you've really come a long way in less than a decade since graduating. I mean, you're still, or you're just 30 now, right? I'm just 30 now. Yeah. Just 30. Yeah. And it's funny because, you know, to think back, I, <laughs> 30 feels like yesterday for me, but it also feels like 10 years ago. But it's it's so funny because I was still in my 20s when I started this show. Now I'm feeling a lot older these days. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so you also have a lot to offer as far as I think your perspective um, as an entrepreneur and composer and someone who's really had the kind of confidence to just go out there and and get it and this goes for everything from the first time you came on the podcast to your first cd project and the live gigs you've been doing and like all the stuff you've you've really put yourself out there which i i think is great but i can't help but find it to be very ironic because i also know that you're quite introverted so could you talk a bit about what this has been like the past six years really putting yourself out there but at the same time feeling definitely as if you identify as an introvert. Yeah, it's so you irony. You couldn't have used a better word because <laughs> I really, you know, most days I'm not like going out to the clubs and, you know, <laughs> having like parties and stuff. Most days I'm really, really at home, like with books or, <laughs> you know, just me and my wife. <laughs> We're just hanging out, being homebodies. But I, I think that, and, and I mentioned it earlier, but the artist in me is always in the driver's seat. 
And when I was going through some of the like harder times as a freelancer, I, I just realized that in order to have the career I want to have, I'm going to have to exist in the communities that I'm trying to serve and be supported by. So without anyone knowing who I was, then there's no chance to do a unique project uh, like the things I do now. So I really had to just throw myself in and kind of get over that fear of networking <laughs> when you're introverted. And a big part of why I've been able to do it and be successful is that I don't just go in and wing it. I have a process. In the way that I practice clarinet to get better at, at, at uh, playing clarinet, I, I practice my networking. I have like these worksheets that I, I sort of like prep my talking points before meeting people and I research people before meeting them. So I, if there's like a moment of panic within myself, I can remember, oh yeah, they did this project. Ask them about that project. Because <laughs> most people love talking about things they're passionate about. So if you can research someone ahead of time, you you know something that, that they're passionate about and you can get them talking. It makes it more comfortable. But yeah, it's it's been definitely challenging to get over that. And even like putting myself out there like on social media or like just the concept of releasing that solo clarinet and electronics album, like just the, the idea that I'm out there. Uh, was a big hurdle, but at the end of the day, it was just like, I'm here on Earth to bring people together with music and help them feel things through my music. So it would be selfish to hold it all in for myself. And, you know, it's funny because I, I feel the same way sometimes about uh, about things that I've done that they seem kind of monumental leading up to them and they cause some anxiety. And then once they're out there, it's like, well, it's sort of free. I, I can't do anything about it now, but it's, you know, maybe good for the world, right? That it's out there. And uh, I think that it, once you've done it a couple times, it becomes easier to continue to do that. So I think that you're, you're onto something. And it's, it's interesting to me that you've been practicing interacting in that way. I think that's a good way of looking at it, you know? Anyone needs to work on their skills. And if, if you're not feeling like you're very skilled at, at interactions, then, you know, I hate to say it, but because this would seem odd to an extrovert, but read a book about it, write down your strategy, practice, you know, it's like, I've always found strange that people talk to themselves in the mirror. I don't know if people actually do that, or if that's just like a figurative thing. But like, I've heard people say they actually practice like how they're going to talk to their boss in the mirror. And to me, that just seems wild. I can't imagine speaking to myself in a room. For me, that's not something that I, I do, but it's odd because I also feel that I am somewhat introver introverted in a way. So I think it's just, you know, different people work in different ways and you've got you to gotta run with what you got, but realize exactly what you said, that if you just sit in a practice room all day, you're never going to make it as a musician. You're never going to meet anybody. You're never going to go anywhere. So you've got to get out there. You've got to meet people. You've got to do stuff. So speaking of doing stuff, Let's talk about some of the newer things that you've been into since last time. And last time I remember your, your electronic CD, which you just mentioned, I think it just came out. Um, but since then, you've done a couple other projects and also got into video production. So what has that been like? Yeah, yeah. So I, I can uh, thank the, the pandemic for 
turning me into a film director as well, because I've been producing a lot of live video performances. And this, again, through my, my position as director of community engagement and artist liaison with Classical Music Indie, you know, like everyone else, the pandemic dried up my gigs, but I had the luxury of being a full-time employee. Uh, but it was breaking my heart that all of my colleagues were, were they didn't have employment in, in the form that I had it. So all of my colleagues were like gigs dried up, sitting at home, not knowing what their future is going to be like. So I, uh, along with my supervisor, we sort of went to our board of directors and we were like, look, everyone is getting put on furlough and musicians don't have gigs and we're not we don't want to be like that so my idea was to simply transfer everything onto a video format and it started off as doing facebook live things which if you have the right equipment that can go really well but uh most of our musicians didn't <laughs> you know it, it takes quite a setup to do it successfully so we tried that and then we weren't really happy with the production quality, so we flipped the format to just doing pre-recorded performances of short works, like five minutes or less. And <laughs> there's a theme about my life. It's that when there's a need, I just sort of throw myself in there and figure it out and make mistakes along the way, but with the right support system, it works. And that's what happened this time. I just was like, I I've got to keep our musicians performing. They need this income and the fulfillment that comes with making music and they're not getting it anywhere else. So I got behind a camera, learned video editing software, and I've been slowly ramping up my audio engineering, audio editing chops over the past five years. Um, so that part was easy, but the video part was just so foreign, but I just had to learn how to do it because people were counting on me. I love that. And it's so interesting because so many musicians right now have had to sort of put on different hats than they've ever worn before. Um, but you raised such a good point about a lot of these gigs, first of all, not paying. Um, and a lot of them also, if they do pay, they pay less because the, the logic is that while you're at home, um, you don't have to drive in to work or whatever. And I guess you don't need to get paid as much. But the ironic thing is that you might find yourself in a situation where you need a new microphone, a new camera, faster internet, um, lighting, a green screen. I mean, line up all these things, it could be $1,000, you know? And at a time when musicians aren't even making any money, it is a lot to ask. So how did you get around this? Was there some kind of means to provide the musicians with equipment or were they able to come and, you know, safely perform in a studio or, or what, what, what would happen in that situation? We're really, really lucky at Classical Music Indie to have uh, two really important pure luck things happen. And one was that we received an estate gift from one of our founders who passed away a couple years ago. And that allowed us to be like as an organization, no, no problems navigating the pandemic. We also received a grant from uh, the Arts Council of Indianapolis, our local arts council, that allowed us to purchase new equipment. So we bought all the equipment and we handled all that and then the musicians could just show up and perform. 
And we've basically been using our network of community partners, like venues we've worked with before and ask them, hey, can we show up if no one else is there, bring our cameras and our microphones and our audio interface and make a video and like, we'll tag you and put links to your website. And that's how we've been doing it. it it's basically just been going to venues where no one else is there, distancing the crew apart from each other. Um, and yeah, again, it's one of the reasons I'm really glad I'm working at an organization. And one of the reasons that I, as you mentioned earlier, don't feel like I'm selling out. Because in this case, I was able to add a great deal of value to our musical community by being a voice that advocates uh, at the level, at the board level that it needed to happen at. Yeah, no, that's fantastic. And a very fortunate circumstance. And it's amazing that, you know, no one was... Uh... I guess I can't speak for, for all these, everything going on, but it doesn't sound like anyone was laid off or had to you know pause their work. And you even kept hiring some of the freelancers who really relied on, on that. And that's just really fantastic. So good for you. That's all, that's all really great. Um, what about personally though? How did this whole situation affect you? And I know that you like me have still been working full time. So I'm, I also feel very, very fortunate, but I know that having worked full time throughout all this, I don't really relate a lot to some of the other things that I hear about all the free time people are having, <laughs> you know, so I'm not sure where, where you kind of sit with that. But how have you been kind of mentally navigating this and, and how have you find the last year? Because as of today, it's been over a year. I think it's been a year and two weeks for our city anyways. Yeah, we're yeah, we're right around the same timeline. I uh, yeah, like you, I'm have been so fortunate uh, financially to continue to work full time and that side of things has been great. And my wife works at a healthcare clinic, so she's had no lull in her work activity either. So in that regard, it's, it's been, you know, on paper, peachy king. <laughs> but for me, so I use music to let things out. Hey, we talked about me being an introvert. Guess what? That's one of the ways I can let things out by making music. And so doing it all remotely has been not nearly the same because part of how I get fulfillment is seeing the feedback from the audience. So part of it is visually seeing the reaction or, or feeling the applause from the audience with this emotion that I've shared with them. And so that obviously, like how it's been for everyone else, it's just been gone. It's been void. Uh, from my life. And so that's been really challenging emotionally because I used to have this wonderful outlet of I go, I share my feelings through music and I get them out. The audience experiences it. I see that they I've been heard and it helps me emotionally. And that's been gone, <laughs> which is really, you know, you don't know how bad it is until it's gone. Like it's, it's been very hard emotionally. And I've had the added stressor of, I mentioned before, I'm in a leadership position at this nonprofit and I am the one that's interacting with our musicians. And I am the one that is like, Hey, you need a gig. Here you go. And so seeing everyone be like, Hey, do you have any gigs? Do you have any gigs, please? That was really hard to see my colleagues suffering it, it was in a way, seeing that was harder 
for me than navigating my own emotions. So I'd say that's been the worst part is just like seeing how hard it's been on all of my friends and colleagues. And that's why I sort of worked as, as hard as I did to keep the gigs going, at least in the capacity we could so that, you know, my friends would have something because I knew how bad I was hurting for not having performing. Yeah. And, you know, it's, I consider myself, like I said, somewhat introverted as well, but I really realized during this how much I do value actual human interaction. It's really hard to go months without seeing anyone. It's been a very strange thing. And, uh, but just like you also, I mean, I've always considered my music to be sort of one leg of the stool of what matters in my life. And when that leg went away, it's, it's harder to feel accomplished. I didn't go and do a degree in music performance just for fun. I genuinely enjoy that element of my life, you know? And uh, so I'm not sure exactly what the stool entails, if you want to call it that, but like maybe family, friends, career, and art for me is a, is a good way to look at it. And without one leg of that stool, it feels sometimes like it could fall over or be less justified on the other legs, you know? Or, you know, it's a weird way of looking at it, but if one leg ever became too long, <laughs> the stool could fall over too, right? So... It's just, uh, it's such a hard thing. And, but I do agree looking around and seeing the, the local arts community become completely decimated and then realize that that's not just local. It's actually the whole world was truly astonishing and, uh, heartbreaking maybe, but yeah, it's tough. It's tough. But, um, as an introvert though, I think that it's, it's interesting. You probably also realized a lot of how much, even though you want minimal interaction probably with people to recharge, I mean, between those periods of recharging, you've got to want to get out there and, you know, be real with people. Yeah. And, and for me, it's like my introversion is that I, I will be happy to interact socially when it's on my terms. Like that's my brand of introversion is like, yeah, I'm a pleasure to be around as long as I've, you know, created the environment. <laughs> I'm not so good in places, in environments that I didn't create. And so I realized that the lack of performance opportunities, I no longer had this environment that I had created where I could authentically share my feelings. So yeah, I mean, wholeheartedly agree. It's It's been interesting being an introvert and being like, this should be wonderful. I'm just a hermit now, but it's not. I miss people. <laughs> so I wonder for those listening, just to kind of wrap this up in a way that is uh, productive for them um, and maybe an action almost that they could, they could think about or do. If you had to kind of start this process again of creating your dream job and looking for a dream job, if you had to start it again, what are some things you would offer? Or maybe another way of looking at it is like, what are some things that you've learned that might just help someone else sort of create their own ideal career? Yeah, that's great. And I love action items. <laughs> I love, like I, I, when I go to workshops and there's no action items, I'm just like, why did I do this? <laughs> so I really appreciate this question. I think first and foremost, whatever you want to be doing, write it down. So like, sit down, close your eyes, imagine you are in your ideal music world. What are you doing? Now write that down. <laughs> because that uh, likely is probably not something that will just happen overnight. It's something you'll need to work towards. But as long as you have it written down, almost like a business plan or 
an artistic plan. That's what we can call it. Your artistic plan. As long as it's written down, you know you can work towards it. Now from there, I will say, think about your musical skills and your non-musical skills. What are you good at? You know, what? some people are tremendous sight readers. I, I wish that was me, it's not. Some people are great improvisers. Some people can arrange pieces in really unique ways. So think about what you bring to the table for the musical ecosystem. Like, what are you truly good at and enjoy doing? Then, think about your non-musical skills. And this is something we, we don't do, at least while we're going through school. We don't think about, what are the non-musical things I can do? Are you good at leading people? Are you a public speaker? Do you have a twisted pleasure when you put together spreadsheets? <laughs> Are you good at formulas? Like, think about those things. And again, write it all down. <laughs> because writing things down gives them power and meaning. So, with your sort of ideal artistic destination written down, and your musical skills that you know you're good at and enjoy doing, and your non-musical skills that you know you're good at and enjoy doing, you're better equipped to see how you can add value to the ecosystem you exist in. Not just musically, like other areas as well. And from there, it's a matter of, um, <laughs> to say the buzzword again, it's a matter of networking. It's a matter of sort of surveying your immediate area and going, hmm, are there any open positions that use some combination of all these skills I've identified? Or if not, are there any organizations that do some combination of these skills that I've written down? And then it's connecting with those places. And that's not nearly as scary as it sounds. It's pretty much sending an email or having a phone call or meeting someone for coffee. I guess now we would do that virtually, <laughs> but uh, when the pandemic isn't around anymore, it'd be in person. Um, and then once you've connected with them, you can very truthfully ask what their needs are. And if they have a need that you can fulfill, let them know, humbly, politely, authentically, let them know that you can do what they need. And that is sort of like the initial first step in laying the bricks that will eventually form your the house of your dream job. And But it starts with knowing yourself. So knowing what you want artistically, knowing your skills. And if you're someone who has trouble identifying what your skill sets are, ask a family member or a mentor what they think your skills are. And as long as there's someone you trust, then that'll help you identify what skills you can bring to the table and add value to your musical ecosystem. That is such a good idea, that last one, to ask other people. I've often been surprised to hear the value that I have added for other people because you don't know it yourself, right? But I want to ask one thing because I recently learned something bizarre about uh, myself, and that is that... Uh, it's not the same when I do it on the computer as when I do it on a pen and paper when it comes to writing it down. So for me, I found that I have to use a physical piece of paper in um, like a journal or something. 
I have to write these things down in reality, whether it's a to-do list or, you know, even just I've been doing a little bit of kind of journaling and whatever over the break here, just to, not the break, sorry, the pandemic, just stay sort of sane. <laughs> I'm just experimenting with some stuff, but but it's so much different to write it down and I don't know why, but is that, do you find the same thing? So you are talking to the right clarinet guy because I have, I am on my, let's see, let me pull it over. I've got a journal sitting right next to me. It is the Journal of Eric Joel Salazar, Volume 11. <laughs> and I got into like uh, calligraphy a couple years ago. So I write with these calligraphy pens and I write all the things in this journal, like business plans, artistic plans, to-do lists. It's all in there. And yeah, I, I think I'm the same way. Um, it might be a generation thing or it might not, but there's something about the physical action of writing. I think it just for me, because it activates a different muscle group than typing, I, I find more meaning in it. Yeah, it's interesting because it's one of those things where I'm starting to real realize like, wait a minute, am I getting old? <laughs> I prefer pen and paper. But I think that even for those who are used to it, like an iPad, I think they should try it. And my writing is horrible. I don't you say you've been doing some calligraphy, but um, I just have horrible handwriting and uh, my hand gets tired. The first day I tried journaling, actually. I got really, really sore and tired in my hand because I, I hadn't really been writing physically outside of making a grocery list in years. And it's just not something we really do anymore. So that's been one interesting thing is writing it down and reading what I wrote are sort of two different things. Um, but just getting the idea onto the paper in a real physical world, it seems to just materialize it more than if it was in the computer and could easily just be deleted by the next little glitch in the software. So yeah, it's, it's interesting you said, the way you said write it down, I just wanted to ask because it opened that sort of concept to me, which before I would never have considered. So that's so interesting. Do you have any tips for starting a journal or what you journal about? Or do you do more like a mind dump type practice where you just get your ideas in there? Or I've heard about gratitude journaling. I would probably call my journal a like a dump of notes. <laughs> I, I just jot down whatever's on my mind. And there's a lot of material in it that is like, there's the date and the time and like blah, blah, blah recording session. And then there's a whole bunch of notes about, you know, which takes are the best and that kind of thing. But uh, something that I, I have enjoyed in terms of like what, what you would normally think about with journaling, which is writing down your inner thoughts and feelings. I, I kind of like just starting with a question. It might be a question that I have, or it might be a question someone asked me recently. And I write that question, and then I respond to it. And I respond to it in the way that my true inner self responds to it, which is not necessarily the way I would respond to it. Like, uh, if my boss asked me that question, you know what I mean? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so that, that's one tip I can offer is, you know, a question that you've had or been asked and then authentically respond to it. It's interesting because so many people, they're averse to something like journaling or writing down their goals and they, they probably can't even identify their goals if they're you know trying, which is maybe one reason they can't write them down. But people put more commitment into what they're going to put on their grocery list than what they want for their career. You know, you wouldn't go to the grocery store without your grocery list or at least an idea of why you're there. So why do we do it with our careers? It's so strange. Yeah, I, I feel like perhaps the way we're trained puts so much emphasis on how good we are at making music. And something I find myself telling um, younger musicians I'm mentoring is that 
how good you are, your technical proficiency at making music is not your reason for making music. But we're never really given a space, at least I wasn't uh, so much in my formal education, I wasn't really given a space to examine why I make music. It was just so focused on improve your technique, improve your technique, improve your technique. But yeah, I mean, you're, you're totally right. There are a lot of people who are out there making music and they have no idea why they're doing it. They just know that they have to be good at it. Yeah, even people with full-time orchestral jobs, they just, they don't know. They've never thought about it. How strange is that? Yeah. How strange is it to put in like thousands of hours into something that you're not really sure why you do? <laughs> That's interesting. So <laughs> anyway, well, this has been really great chatting today. We've covered a lot of topics, uh, you know, entrepreneurial musicianship, uh, everything. It's been great. So we've always got so much to kind of talk about. And I do look forward to the next time we can actually meet in person, which hopefully it'll probably be at a clarinet fest or something. Yeah. <laughs> we'll, have to, we'll have to see, but uh, hopefully soon. I'm uh, also itching to get back to real life. So before we go, is there anything else you'd like to share with the clarinet audience? Well, firstly, you bet when we meet each other in person again that we're going to improvise together, Sean. So be ready for that. <laughs> but uh, I would just say, um, check out my website, Eric Salazar, clarinet.com. Uh, if you're interested in new music, chamber music, check out my ensemble, Forward Motion. Uh, we're commissioning new works, premiering them, and making studio recordings of them uh, all the time. So if you're a composer, reach out. Or uh, if you like my compositions, definitely feel free to contact me and uh, explore the possibility of a collaboration. And we can listen to your music on, uh, there's a few albums now on Spotify, Apple Music, all that, right? Yep, it's all on there, Eric Salazar. Check it out. I think you'll enjoy it. Some interesting stuff there, too, and uh, hopefully lots more to come in the future. So thank you so much, Eric. Awesome. Thank you. So if you're listening to the podcast today on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or Amazon, the episode will end here, but you can get access to a little bit more in the Patreon community at clarinet.com slash subscribe. So check that out. And thanks so much again, Eric, for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thank you so much for listening to the Clarinet Podcast. If you enjoyed today's show, be sure to check out some of our past episodes as well. There's over 160 conversations now with amazing guests like Martin Frost, Crowder Giuffredi, Eddie Daniels, and many, many others. Of course, if you want new episodes sent right to your device, be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you find you're turning into a serious Clarin nerd and just can't get enough, you can access the extended version for as little as $1 a month at clarinet.com slash subscribe. Today in the extended edition, Eric shares his favorite book, some clarinet accessories he can't live without, some of his hobbies outside of music, which it doesn't sound like he has much time for, but he also shares a truly embarrassing and surprising experience that happened backstage at a concert he was taking part in. So a really funny story. I think you'll really enjoy that. The last few moments of the podcast, I want to dedicate to listener questions. So if you do have anything, be sure to send that in. You can email me at hello at clarinet.com. I checked and the email address is working and I have gotten a few emails since last time. So woohoo, that's good for me. <laughs> um, but the question came in today, where is the t-shirt store I want to buy a t-shirt and this is a great question and thank you so much for sort of kicking me back into gear at the beginning of the pandemic uh, around well, I guess before the pandemic but in 2019 at the end of the year I had the idea to move the store to a different platform and as I tried to do this in March of 2020 the pandemic sort of came into full swing and there were all sorts of supply issues and I ended up just closing it down for 
a series of months until I could get things organized. And you know what? I actually never opened the store again. So that's on my plate of things to do this week. So hopefully by the end of the week, if you're interested in purchasing a Clarinet shirt or any of the other fun shirt designs I used to have um, available, you'll be able to do that at clarinetshirts.com. So that's clarinet, the word, and the word shirts.com clarinetshirts.com. <laughs> so check that out this week. It should be up sometime by the weekend again. And uh, thank you so much for sending that question in and for sort of uh, giving me the little kick I required to get that back in motion. So uh, there was a lot of fun shirts available and there's really no reason they, they shouldn't still be so. And hey, they help support the production of the podcast at the same time. So thank you so much for listening. And again, send your questions if you have any or announcements or anything else that you might be doing that's interesting to hello at clarineet.com. I just love to hear from you. Thank you so much to our sponsors who make the show possible. The new Bakun Q-Series clarinet features a completely redesigned bore inspired by the Bakun Custom Series clarinets. This means you can play and perform like the pros, but for less. Use code clarineet at bakunmusical.com to save 10% on your entire purchase and try the Bakun Q-Series or Protégé clarinet risk-free for 30 days. Just pay the return shipping if you aren't fully satisfied. Shop now at bakunmusical.com and use code CLARENEAT at checkout. Imagine a read that lets you focus on your music, lasts for months instead of days, and even saves you money in the long run. It's all possible with Legere Reads, the world's leading synthetic read brand made right here in Canada. The European cut read is preferred by Legere artists all over the world, including Eddie Daniels, David Schifrin, Crowder Freddy, and many others. It offers a warm, clean sound with a great ease of articulation and is now available for E-flat, B-flat, and the bass clarinet. Learn more at your local music store or at Legere.com. That's L-E-G-E-R-E.com. I'm your host, Sean Perrin, signing off from Calgary, Alberta, Canada. And I look forward to seeing you next time on the Clarinet Podcast, the show for clarinetists.